0: That Houston.
1: All five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Do? No. or oh, do not. There is no tomorrow. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are
2: Dan Watkins, Andy Chandler,
3: Peter Johnson, John Farben,
1: and I'm Hazel Burton. On our show today we've got a recommendations special, so we'll be sharing our thoughts on the things that we've been enjoying recently, including what's probably gonna be quite an animated discussion on Zack Snyder's Justice League. And we'll be giving you our first thought I can't do f- f- f. <laughs> <laughs> Plus we'll be giving you our initial thoughts on Coward. the new Marvel show.
4: Our <laughs> first thoughts on Falcon show-off. <laughs>
1: Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So,
0: let's get started. Hazel, I want to take issue with something in the intro there, because I think you kind of implied that everyone enjoyed Snyder League.
1: I said it's going to be an animated discussion, which suggests that people liked it and some people didn't.
0: Yes, but you did say we'll be talking about things we enjoyed.
4: (laughs) Yes. We had an (laughs) animated discussion in our house before it even started, when Louise
3: realised it was four hours long. (laughs)
0: <laughs> let's save this for later in the podcast shall we
1: how is everybody
3: good trying to work out what superpowers i've acquired but other than that good
1: yes you've had the vaccine how I do you have, feel yes. are you a different man
3: <laughs> not yet a bit headachy but hopefully it'll go it's only been a day bruce banner got a bit headachy <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> I'd, I'd settle for that as long as i don't have to go green i prefer a different color
4: i i, I just assume your webcam's faulty eh? <laughs> <laughs>
3: What colour Hulk would you be if you could be any colour Hulk? Blue, I think.
4: You you just look like an angry
3: smurf.
1: (laughs) Or you're getting into Thanos territory there.
4: No, he was more purple.
1: I remember um, discussing our first sight of Thanos in Avengers Infinity War and... I think we said he looked something like a Bruce Willis dildo. That was the exact (laughs) same we used. Which are purple. uh, I I checked.
4: (laughs) Did it cost a fortune and only work for five minutes at the start?
1: (laughs) It really did. It it, it wasn't worth it. It really (laughs) wasn't.
4: (laughs) Have you had your vaccine as well, Andy? Or did I imagine that?
0: I have had it, yeah. Uh, I work for the NHS, so I was able to jump the queue, unjustifiably. Sorry, everyone.
4: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I understood you disguised yourself as an old lady.
0: That's a coincidence. It's just what I wear on an evening.
4: You were doing some Norma Bates cosplay and someone accidentally jabbed you.
0: Yeah, and uh, fortunately, due to the current pandemic, everyone's wearing masks, and that means that I don't have to find a creative way to explain my beard.
4: Ah, I see. There was two women in California who aged themselves up to try and get jobs. This was on the news, I think, yeah. a, few, a few weeks yeah. ago. Impressive level of commitment. It is.
0: Uh, it's also diabolical.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> For anyone else out there whose partner has had the vaccine and you haven't, um, trying to suck the vaccine out of them doesn't work. I've tried.
4: <laughs> How? <laughs> Did he lie about where he got vaccinated by any chance? <laughs>
1: He's gone very red.
2: <laughs> He's turning into the Red Hulk.
1: <laughs>
2: so we're talking about Thanos, we're talking about the Hulk. Can we talk about King
3: Shark? Oh. Yeah.
1: New suicide squad uh, trailer. New
3: favourite CG character. Is that the same one who's in Harley Quinn? Yes. Which is interesting
4: because James Good says that they've just completely independently both gone down a similar route in terms of character design and personality.
3: By Harley Quinn, we mean the animated series with Cody Kuroko. Yes. Not the terrible films. And how is King Shark depicted in
2: that series? What's he like?
4: He's kind of lovely, slightly dumb surfer dude who randomly rips people's heads off and eats them.
2: So yeah, King Shark appears in the trailer for the new The Suicide Squad, not to be confused with Suicide Squad, Mm -hmm. and could well have an impact similar to Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy in that nobody's really heard of them but Mm. suddenly become
3: a fan favourite. I mean I already like him. The trailer looks great though doesn't it? Our expectations weren't high. Mm. I mean I was expecting much more of Suicide Squad then I was expecting much more of Birds of Prey Yeah, (laughs) and both of them let me down I felt. Uh, With this one I'm I'm prepared to believe. James Gunn. Mm. I'm not a massive Guardians of the Galaxy
4: fan. And mm. um, then not my favourite Marvel films by a long
3: way, but I
4: love James Gunn's early stuff, so things like Slither and Tromeo and Juliet. Super. Super's amazing. Super, super, I would say. <laughs> and this looks like a real mix of that earlier James Gunn-Gonzo style with the, the budget and money mm-hmm. of a Guardians film, so I'm really, really looking forward to it.
1: Things I found out this week is that James Gunn used to be married to Pam from The Office.
0: Yes. Really? Mm. Jenna Fisher.
1: Yeah, Jenna Fisher. But yeah, I, I think possibly the second Guardians of the Galaxy film might have cancelled out the first one uh, for, for, for enjoyment. It was it was really, it was really bad. Um, but I am equally a fan of James Gunn. And what I like most about the trailer is the complete absence of Jared Leto. Uh,
0: <laughs> yes, there's an epilogue, mm-hmm. but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm not really sold on it. It's just one trailer. It didn't look horrible or anything, but I, just, I get a bad feeling. I just reckon it's the kind of film I'm not going to like self-mocking in a we're silly but don't call us silly because we're calling ourselves silly first kind of way the trailer has a bit in it where idris elba refers to john cena's shiny helmet as, um, <laughs> as, as a toilet funny. on his head.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then try to suck the vaccine out of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. refers to it as, as uh, at least I don't wear a toilet on my head or something like that. And uh, I just, I'm kind of expecting it's going to just be a throwaway line and then they're never going to explain why does he actually have this stupid thing in his head. So it's going to call out how silly it is and then it's not going to kind of justify itself.
4: What did you think of um, Deadpool?
0: I really liked the first one. I hated the second one. Because mm. I I thought the first one got the balance well enough um, between uh, the, the meta humour and the story and the second one leaned far too much into the meta humour and, uh, and winking at the audience and I just got tired of it
2: That's how I found Guardians to be I love the first Guardians of the Galaxy the second one, like you say with Deadpool leans too much into it with yeah. this being the first, the Suicide Squad I would hope it's in that first Deadpool, first Guardians style of thing mm. and if they did one after that that one might be bad, but I'm willing to give this one the benefit of the doubt because it seems like we might get to see it in a cinema and as a couple of hours with an audience and popcorn and things like that.
1: Mm -hmm. In August, I think.
2: Mm. Yeah, even if it's not especially great, I think it'll be a lot of fun to see in that environment again.
4: It's the first The Suicide Squad, so just to clarify, it's the second Suicide Squad, but the first The Suicide Squad. Yes. Titles fucking stupid, aren't they?
3: (laughs) Yep. Yes. So if someone's going to see it, do they have to say, are oh, you going to see the, the Suicide Squad movie? Yes, I believe so. <laughs> you
0: could just not go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easier though. Yeah.
1: It does feel like it's going to be an X-rated Thor Ragnarok, which I, uh, yeah sounds exactly what Andy would like to see.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What was your number quiz, Peter?
3: Don't hold your breath. <laughs> well, actually, you probably could have. <gasps> I have a teeny tiny quiz for you all. Which is really just a, who can guess the closest to the correct answer? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Did I win?
1: Dan wins. You held a breath the yes. longest.
3: Oh, sorry, Dan. I forgot to tell you to <laughs> breathe out. <laughs> the idea is that you're all trying to guess the budget for a particular film. Okay. Which is Hellraiser 10. Let's start with uh, Dan. Would you care to guess the budget in dollars?
2: One point four million dollars. One point four? A
1: Hazel? I didn't realise there was any sequels. Anyway, mm-hmm. um I'm gonna guess eight hundred and
0: sixty thousand. Okay. Andy. Three point three million. And John. Okay, so
4: this is Hillraiser ten. Yes. Which is the most recent to date. Yeah. It's what's called a Rights film which basically is made very, very cheaply and very quickly. So the studio keeps the rights to the film because they've been trying to do a big-budget Hellraiser reboot remake for a while, which I think it might now be heading towards be TV series on HBO Max. The studio that has the rights to Hellraiser, it's in the terms of keeping the rights that they have to release a new Hellraiser every couple of years, otherwise the rights revert back to the studio. So similar to Roger Corman with The Fantastic Four, is basically every so often they make a straight-to-video film as quickly as possible to keep the rights. So on that base, I'm going to say it was very, very cheap, and it's going to be not more than a couple of hundred thousand dollars, so I'll say 250000
0: Can I revise my guess? <laughs> okay. Uh,
3: John is the closest. It is $350,000. Oh, more than I thought. They were splashing out.
4: They were. It's the first one also, um, not to have Doug Bradley as Pinhead. They offered him the part but refused to show him the script before he signed on. He uh, refused to do it. So there's a, a young child dressed as Pinhead.
1: I've never seen Hellraiser.
4: I would say it's a shameful gap, but you know when you know somebody won't enjoy something.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> During the first lockdown, we did Zoom quizzes and so on, and I uh, wrote some Hellraiser-related questions for uh, around for John. And I can say with confidence, Hazel, you definitely don't want to watch that.
1: If it's a recommendation from John, nine times out of ten, I'm not going to watch it.
4: <laughs> I know. I deliberately don't recommend stuff now that I think you'll like. I'd just say that, that's, <laughs> that's rubbish to get you to watch it. <laughs> um, if you want to talk about terrible Hellraiser sequels, actually. Can I say that there is, nope. there is nope. one that is actually John, good? John, no.
2: No. John. No.
4: <gasps> Hellraiser no. Inferno.
1: I've literally just muted him. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's do some recommendations. So these are things that we have been enjoying recently and um, we'd love to share our insights with you so hopefully you can enjoy them too. Who'd like to go first?
4: Um, I'll go first. Um, I'd like to recommend oh. Hellraiser Inferno, <laughs> wow. which is the fifth film the Hellraiser franchise. <laughs> <laughs>
1: do, you, do, you, do you want to go first? John's yeah. recommendation's
2: done now, so let's move on.
1: <laughs> Who wants to go first? Me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hazel is seizing power. (laughs) I
1: know. know, I've been pressing the mute button. It's just, oh. Mm.
2: The Jackie Weaver of the podcast.
1: (laughs) I have the authority to start the recommendation section. So I would like to recommend something that is in this year's Oscar contenders, and that's Hell, there's a seven. Oh, for. Strangely not. Uh, It's actually Judas and the Black Messiah. Yes. Uh, Yes. It is directed and produced by Shaka King and stars Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, who was the leader of the Chicago Black Panther Party in the late 1960s. Uh, It also stars Lakeith Stanfield as William O'Neill, who is a car thief who became an FBI informant and he infiltrated the Black Panther Party.
3: So it's about the guy who was in The Trial of the Chicago 7, is that right?
1: Yes, yeah. The film has also got appearances from Jesse Plemons, uh, who I always enjoy. He plays O'Neill's FBI contact and an unrecognisable Martin Sheen as J. Edgar Hoover. Basically, if you picture in your mind now President Bartlett and now picture always. the exact opposite of that, that is what he's playing in this film. Trump. Trump. <laughs> the exact yeah, pretty much, pretty much. It's not far off. There's also a wonderful portrayal of Deborah Johnson, who was Hampton's girlfriend, and that's played by Dominique Fishbeck. So uh, we first meet William O'Neill when he is posing as an FBI officer. He's basically confiscated some car keys from some people in a pub and then stole a the car. Unfortunately, the law catches up with him and he's facing a pretty lengthy prison sentence before he's then offered a deal by the FBI. Infiltrate the Black Panthers and basically will look the other way on the whole impersonating an FBI officer and car stealing thing. So the story follows O'Neill as he meets Fred Hampton, who's been rising in the ranks of the Black Panther Party, became leader at the age of, I think it's 20 or 21. And Daniel Kaluuya is just absolutely terrific in the role. It's quite a complicated role. It's quite complex. So he's a brilliant speaker. He's very charismatic. But you can tell that he is feeling a lot of pain internally. He's very concerned about the future of the party and the increasing interference and racism from from law enforcement. Deborah Johnson is the human heart of the film. as his girlfriend and ultimately mother of his child. And Lakeith Stanfield's performance is—it's incredibly watchable. Um, he has one of those faces, I think, that is just so full of expression. I'm really surprised that he didn't get enough votes to be in contention for the leading actor Oscar role. Uh, he instead he is uh, fighting it out with his co-star for best supporting actor, which is very odd.
4: He he yeah. he thought that himself did. He he tweeted something that was rapidly deleted right? about his confusion at not being best actor.
1: Yeah.
2: It was some kind of weird technicality with the Oscar rules where you can be up for contention in multiple categories, but you can only be nominated for one. Yeah. And he didn't get a large enough share of the best actor votes yeah. to be nominated for that. But the studio put him forward for lead and supporting, hoping that he would get nominated in mm-hmm. one or the other And it just so happened via a quirk of the system that both of the leads or arguable leads are both supporting, Mm -hmm. which is weird.
1: It is weird. Yeah. You know, I I generally, I don't know out of the two who might win it. um, But what I do know is that he is wonderful in the role. It's quite a tortured and conflicting performance because he is a figure, I guess, who shouldn't inspire that much sympathy. But the Keith Stanfield plays him in a way that you also see him as the victim of a system and of the, the racist government. So it's a really, really compelling character. The tone of the film I probably characterize as a dramatic thriller. It genuinely keeps mm. you guessing, even though the conclusion is inevitable for anyone who knows their 1960s American history or, yeah, they've seen The Trial of the Chicago 7. I felt completely transplanted to that era, which is courtesy of some great cinematography and an absolutely cracking soundtrack. It's also a very timely film, so it reminds us that, uh, you know, this might have been 40, 50 years ago, but it's the same old battle for justice and equality keeps on raging. It's a really important film to watch, but I recommend it as a film as well as for its message and you can rent it from Amazon Prime. It's a premium on-demand stream, so it's not exactly cheap, but I do think it is wholly worth it.
2: And and worthy of its Best Picture nomination.
1: Yes, absolutely. When we do our Oscar sweepstake, whoever draws that should pick up a few points on the night, I think.
4: I saw this as well, and I absolutely loved it. I was a bit worried it was going to be kind of like a worthy message movie, and whilst there's an important message in there, it's... First and foremost, really entertaining, isn't it? It's really yeah. well done and fast moving and some great performances. I think Daniel Kalu is, is a revelation. It's built yeah. up a bit, quite a bit for the part as well, isn't it? I think he looks...
1: Uh, pretty he's pretty stacked. He's, <laughs> he's
4: stacked himself up. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it was made with his partner's and son's involvement to some extent but it didn't shy away from some of the more controversial things that Fred Hampton would say in his speech and so on there was a Mm -hmm. few points where he was talking about sort of killing all policemen and things like that that were dealt with very well it wasn't like a hagiography of the character
1: yeah I think the important thing to bear in mind before you watch this is it's not a Fred Hampton biopic Mm -hmm. there is a film in that but for this one they chose to focus on a very short period of his life it's as much about William O'Neill's character and how he infiltrated the Black Panthers and what were the consequences of that that it is about Fred Hampton himself. Mm-hmm.
3: Daniel Kalua, I think, is a great actor. Wonderful. I mean, I've enjoyed him from The Fades yeah. and uh, get, that, get that out. Black Mirror episode he was in.
4: He was always a um, tea leaf in Psychoville. I think it was the first time I came across
3: him. It's quite odd that he was in Black Panther and now he's in the Black Panthers in yeah. this one.
1: Well, um, uh, Ryan Kugler is a producer of this film. Mm. I'd love for one of them to win the Best Supporting Actor role. I honestly wouldn't mind either of them winning, but I think Chadwick Boseman uh, in the leading actor role for his role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is totally deserving and it would mean a lot to his family for him to win as well. So hopefully um, it, it'll all work itself out on the, and uh, this, this film will get recognised as well.
4: I wasn't too impressed with the female characters I'm sorry I've forgotten the name of his partner, but it felt like she wasn't particularly well-drawn.
1: Uh, Deborah, 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 Deborah. Johnson? Yeah, yeah, Deborah Johnson. thought she could
4: have been given a little bit more, but again, it's not a Fred Hampton biopic. It's, yeah. n- it's not the story that's been told.
1: Well, she didn't have a lot of screen time. Her role was incredibly important. Uh, and she was, as I say, the, 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 the human aspect of the film.
2: How many Oscars out of 10 would you give it if you could...
1: If I could, I would give it nine Oscars out of 10.
2: I think we will watch that tonight. Hmm. Dan, what have you got for us? Uh, Well, I've got something to listen to uh, this week. I've got a podcast that I've been getting into recently called Disneyversity, which is Empire film journalist Ben Travis and animation academic Sam Summers going through the Disney animated classics one at a time from Snow White all the way up to Raya and the Last Dragon, which only came out a couple of weeks ago. And we've been watching the Disney films along with the podcast. There's a new episode every two weeks where they discuss the film, what they liked, things that might have been problematic about it, the animation techniques, what was going on behind the scenes, and the cultural life of these films beyond what you actually watch on Disney+. Plus. So it's been really interesting revisiting films that I saw possibly hundreds of times when I was little, films I thought I knew, but didn't know that well at all, films I thought I'd seen, but actually hadn't, and curiosities that never come up when you think about Disney films. Uh, They've just finished going through the package films of the 1940s when budgets were low Animators had gone on strike, the Second World War was happening, they couldn't export the films outside America, and they would club together lots of little short films and release it as an animated feature, rather than as individual shorts. I hadn't seen any of those before, and without this podcast, I don't think I would have picked The Three Caballeros, or Saludos Amigos, or Make Mine Music, and watched those.
3: The Three Caballeros does end up on one of the rides at Epcot and things, doesn't it? It's the theme for the Mexican ride. That's right. Yeah, that's one of the things they talk about is which of the films have survived into
2: the parks, where you'll come across characters in rides, in themes of cafes and gift shops. So beyond the films, these characters do live on in all sorts of different ways. So that's been fascinating. It's spurred lots of conversations about the films. We've been watching together and we found that we approach them in different ways. We've got different Disney films that we grew up watching and that's kind of flavoured the ones that we like most watching along with the podcast. We got to Bambi and I was having a chat with my mum about it and discovered that she's never seen it all the way through because she went to see it as a little girl, was taken out of the cinema in tears and has never been brave (laughs) enough to watch the rest of it. And I didn't know that. And it was talking about it through the podcast that uh, helped me to do this. Ben and Sam have got a really good camaraderie. They became friends doing English lit at uni in Newcastle, which gives me an affinity because I did the same course a few years earlier. And Sam is from the Northeast as well. And it's just really refreshing to have an expert who has got their regional accent. If this was a show on the proper radio or on the TV, doubtless it would be an Oxbridge educated, received pronunciation type. But I haven't been to the Northeast for months. And it's just really nice to have a Geordie voice in my ears uh, telling me about films uh, other than ours. I'll
4: just say we've got a podcast here with four of us based in Newcastle and none of us having a Geordie accent. So that's...
0: uh... (laughs) But John, you're a master of impressions, so you could put on a Geordie accent for it, couldn't you?
4: Um, I'm taking the dog down the tune for a butterly brune ale.
0: I was wrong. Sorry, Dan.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's been
2: really fun revisiting it, learning more about them. And they discuss some of the more outdated cultural depictions is how Disney Plus phrases it. Sure, They -hmm. go into a lot in the episode about Dumbo. I haven't watched it for maybe 15, 20 years, but I knew every frame of that film. But watching it as a six-year-old, the outwardly overtly racist elements of Dumbo didn't come across to me watching as a six-year-old, but they are right there at the forefront. And on the podcast, they don't shy away from this. They go into the problems with it, the elements of Fantasia that have not been seen since the 60s because they were too racist even to survive into that period. And it's fascinating to see how these films evolve and how Walt Disney's vision starts to come through as the animation evolves. So uh, racism in Dumbo is the elephant in the room. Uh, (laughs) Very much so. Yeah. And there was... A lot. What was cut <laughs> out of Fantasia? It was one of these ones that I thought I'd seen, but clearly never have because it was long. You've seen
4: the sources of Penton haven't you? I think everyone's seen that. Yeah, mm. I yeah. think that
2: was it. And there's a sequence with lots of centaurs. And one of the group of female centaurs, lovely white lady centaurs, had an African-American caricature called Sunflower as a centaur who existed basically to serve them and the way she's animated is racist. The way she acts is racist. The way other characters in the film act towards her is racist. And that was the point where even in the 60s, Disney snipped that out and Sunflower has not been in Fantasia mm-hmm. for 50 years and rightly so. Did
4: not know that. So is Fantasia on Disney as opposed to Fantasia 2000? Um,
2: They're both there. Mm. Uh, All of the films that they're going to discuss are on Disney Plus, apart from one of the package films, which for some reason is only available on DVD.
3: Following the chronological order, does that help in terms of placing everything in context, or does it mean you've got a big swath of movies you're perhaps less familiar with to get through before you get to the ones you're more interested in?
2: Uh, Both. The way they've organised the podcast is they've kind of classified it in different eras. So you've got the five early classics, Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, and Bambi. Then you've got the six package films, which all came together. They're about to enter into what they're calling the bangers era, which is (laughs) Cinderella, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Alice Mm -hmm. in Wonderland, past Sleeping Beauty to the Jungle Book. But the way they phrase it on the podcast is you see what's happening with the animation. You see what was going on behind the scenes. You see how audiences were responding because Fantasia, I think, took a massive hit on the studio and changed plans for quite a long time afterwards. So it's really interesting seeing all of that together. And you can approach these films in a totally different way than if you're five years old watching Mm. Peter Pan for the first time.
4: So do you watch the podcast and then watch the film or the film first?
3: We'll watch the film first, then
4: listen to the podcast.
3: And do you think it would work better as a, in a video format as opposed to a, an audio format? You know, if say you were using an example of racism, you could actually show it.
2: They f- phrase it all in an accessible enough way that you know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. And the images that stick in their mind are generally the images that stick in your mind as well, because they're recording after the fact. They're not watching live and, and mm-hmm. commentating on it. They've taken their notes and they do the podcast a little bit afterwards. So certain things do stick out in each film and they tend to be the things that get talked about.
4: And we're in an amazing position now for the first time in a long, long time with Disney stuff where all this stuff is just available at a push of a button.
2: It's something that's always kind of been in the back of my mind a little bit. It would be really fun to watch all the Disney films Mm -hmm. and see what they're all like. And Disney Plus actually Mm -hmm. gives you that chance without having to spend hundreds of quid Mm -hmm. on videos or DVDs. Dumbo was the one for me. That was the one so far that I remember watching over and over again as a little kid, but everybody's got different ones. So I was wondering what the nerds Disney classics were. Which one did you go back to over and over when you were growing up?
0: Uh, For me, it was Aladdin. I was a huge fan of that. Also the uh, Sega Mega Drive game as well. Um, All (laughs) things Aladdin at one stage. Very big for me. Don't say Hellraiser 5, John.
4: Damn you, Dad! <laughs> I was about to pitch my own podcast, Hellraiserversity. Um, it's a it's a 10-hour per episode, 10-episode podcast.
1: I don't think you need to pitch it, John. I think that sells itself. It does. Yeah. Um, did
4: I tell you about my idea how to monetize the podcast? No. So each week, I'm going to watch a Nicolas Cage straight-to-DVD film and record a two-hour special episode of the podcast. And if you subscribe to our Patreon, you don't get sent it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Does Louise have a similar option?
4: She doesn't, sadly, no. She has earplugs and leaving me. <laughs> I have to say, I was never a massive Disney fan growing up.
1: You would watch inappropriate horror movies, which shaped your childhood. I watched th- inappropriate
4: horror movies, but I like watched 80s comedies, so things like Ghostbusters and things like that. I remember, like, in Basil the Great Mouse Detective, but I'm struggling to remember if that was actually even Disney or not.
2: It was, yeah. Yeah. That I think that counts as one of the animated classics.
4: I enjoyed that, but really, in terms of, like, the classics, I never really watched them, I'm afraid to so. say.
1: For me, it's a close-run thing between Beauty and the Beast, which I think was 91, and The Lion King, 94. Ooh, if I had to choose, probably The Lion King. Um, Mm. I very much wore out my VHS copy of that.
4: Peter, you've got less to choose from. (laughs) What? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Disney films that were released while you were growing up.
3: I still watch kids' films (laughs) when I'm older. And just to prove that, actually, I would pick uh, a Pixar movie like Toy Story rather than a Disney movie, Mm. which is cheating, but there you go. Uh, It is cheating, yes, (laughs)
4: absolutely. (laughs) Are they they sticking to the animated films, Daniel? Are they going to move into...
2: Just the animated films and just Disney. So they're not going to do Pixar. They're going to stick with the main studio. And they're not counting films that are a complete mix of live action and animation. So Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks uh, won't be getting a look in. Reaction to Bedknobs and Broomsticks there from Hazel.
1: I might have seen that more times than The Lion King. So good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Knife crime with Bruce Forsyth. (laughs) Yeah, he's a knife-wielding thug in Portobello Road.
3: Bruce Forsyth? Yes. Oh. He's in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. So, How is this available, Dan? Is it subscription like the um, Empire Spoiler specials?
2: Uh, no, you can just find it on your regular podcast feeds. So when you're looking for Nerdfest to give us a five-star <laughs> review and a rating, uh, you'll find Disneyversity on all of those as well, I'm sure.
1: How many um, sad parents dying out of ten?
2: <laughs> uh, I will give it nine sad parents dying out of ten only because sometimes my views and their views on some of the films can vary. But that's why opinions exist.
1: Andy, what have you got?
0: I'd like to recommend something that I know we've all seen and I hope you'll all pitch in because I don't have a huge amount to say about it yet because it isn't all out. Uh, it's Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, which is the latest offering from Marvel Studios. It's a limited series, currently showing on Disney+. One episode a week is being released. At time of recording, we've seen the first two episodes. By the time this is released, there'll be a third. And uh, I'm quite enjoying it so far. It's the story of Sam Wilson, the Falcon, and uh, Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, and their lives after the events of Avengers Endgame. They're both trying to come to terms with life post-Blip, with life post-Cap, and in Bucky's case especially, with all of the horrible, horrible, horrible things he has done throughout his lengthy career as a brainwashed Hydra assassin. So this is uh, much more conventional Marvel fare than the very well-received WandaVision, which has just finished, and it's uh, inevitably going to invite comparison uh, with that show, having come out just a couple of weeks after that ended. If you enjoyed Captain America Civil War, then I think this is right up your alley. Uh, There will be some other characters from that. Zemo, um, Sharon Carter, will be showing up at some point in the show. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I feel like it has great potential but hasn't quite caught fire yet. I like it and I'm ready to love it and I'm hoping I will in the coming weeks. I especially like the characters. Uh, I won't go into too much detail about them for sake of spoilers, but they both have issues with the past. Bucky is trying to make amends for and mentally get over um, all of the things he's done. He has a list of uh, people that he's wronged and bad people he's helped to prop up.
3: My name is Bucky. <laughs>
0: um, and uh, he's he's trying to uh, come to terms with all those things that he's done and, and get over it. Sam, on the other hand, um, at the end of Avengers Endgame, this'll be a spoiler, but um, was uh, given the shield by Cap and... Um, oh, I
2: hadn't seen Endgame oh. yet, Andy. Oh.
0: It's, it's all right. You might like it. <laughs> Um, uh, He he was expected to carry on where Cap left off and Sam seems to be having trouble accepting that and embracing his future. So he's trying to avoid his future while Bucky is uh, haunted by his past. I like that contrasting dynamic that each of those characters have. Anything else, and I might... Start talking about kind of uh, plot stuff that people would prefer not to hear about. But there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff set up for subsequent episodes, and I'm just um, excited to to see it all. Uh, what does everyone else think about it so far?
2: I'm enjoying it. It's good. There are a lot of interesting ideas there, especially from Sam's perspective about the state of the world and what's going on with him personally. In execution, it's not quite there for me yet. And I'm a little bit worried two episodes in, with only four to go, that it's going to take a bit too long to get to that point. It's a very, very different TV beast to WandaVision. When WandaVision was on, Thursday's was, "Ah, it's Friday tomorrow, new episode, really exciting. This second episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I kind of forgot there was one until dinner time on Friday night so it hasn't quite clicked for me yet there's good stuff in there and i'm hoping that something will click and by the end i'll love it and it'll all fit together two episodes in i'm not quite
3: there but i'm not going to give up on it is some of that because it's not a mystery box show in the same way that wonder mm-hmm. was so there was a lot of speculation there on you know what's happening and it was doing quite a slow reveal it could be but both the episodes of falcon and winter soldier
2: so far have ended on a big reveal mm-hmm. to get you into the next episode but they just haven't quite landed for me in the same way. But Hazel, I know you feel differently.
1: Yeah, I think it might take one more episode to really become like that. Wonder feeling where you generally can't wait for the next Friday. When WandaVision came out, it released its first two episodes um, on the same day, and I remember feeling, "Oh, this is different." But I have no idea what to make of it. But you know, I wasn't just—I just wasn't sure. This is equally two episodes in. And I guess there's a sort of similar feeling there in that I think it's going to lead to some amazing places. But it just, like Andy said, hasn't quite caught fire yet. But what I have seen, I really, really, really like. I think the two actors are amazing. Um, Their chemistry sizzles um, when they finally got to meet in episode two. I loved the therapy scene. I thought that was really, really, really funny. And I'm not ashamed to say that I like the bish bosh actiony stuff. Um, I-, I thought it was really well executed. It has some incredible potential, and um, I-, I really look forward to Fridays. Not only because it's I don't have to work anymore, <laughs> but I'm I maybe feeling a-, a little bit more positive and optimistic about it.
0: For me, the biggest strength of the show is the actors and and what they bring to to those characters, both. Sam and Bucky are, are excellent, and Anthony Mackey, Sebastian Stan. I, I really like both of them.
3: What do we think is the role of TV as opposed to film with this sort of thing? Because this is very much more trying to be
0: a.
4: This could have been a film. In a, in a way that One Division would not have worked as a film, this could have been
0: Winter Soldier 2. Very much so, yeah. One Division was episodic, and this is uh, more or less one mm-hmm. overarching narrative.
1: You'd have had to cut out a lot of the human arcs.
0: Less shrimp fishing. Less shrimp and, fishing. Ba- and bank loans. Some,
1: some people would argue is a good thing. You wouldn't hear about his sister and the struggles that she's had over the past five years. And um, you, you wouldn't possibly see Bucky's List and, uh, you know, one character in particular that he has met because of something that he did to someone they're related to. I don't think you would have had that in a film. You've had to cut that out and focus on the action mm. films. And I think it would be a poorer film as a result.
3: It also seemed like our first episode was setting up a bunch of plot threads, which we then just completely ignored in episode two, which is a little weird. Maybe we'll return to those.
1: Yeah, yeah maybe. I, I think
4: I'm different to a lot of you in that I really enjoy the action sequences. I think they're really well done. I'm enjoying the plot so far. Um, there's a character that I think is, Possibly a secret if you haven't seen it that appears at the end of the first episode that I wasn't expecting that has done a big twist on the plot that I am really enjoying and intrigued to see where that goes. Um, I like the idea that the the bad guys are very nuanced and we're seeing their point of view and it's possibly not as black and white as we think. So I love it all, but I don't like the banter between the two lead characters. It feels really forced. You know.
2: I can see why it's there because they had a few moments in Civil War together that were genuinely really funny and lightened the tone of that film Mm -hmm. and were really effective. I don't know if a whole show of it is going to sustain Mm -hmm. itself. I think some more is going to have to happen to their relationship.
1: It's weird because it really worked for me. I thought it was brilliant. But see, opinions. Yeah. (laughs)
4: <laughs> what are they like i just don't feel those two characters of that history together to have earned the relationship that we seem to now be seeing in the show
2: well their relationship is steve yeah that is the thing they have in common yeah so in a way that dealing with the legacy of cap mm. that's the glue that's holding the show together I would hope by the end that's resolved and they find a relationship that is not dependent on somebody who is present but not physically
4: do we know where steve rogers is
2: kevin feige has said you will be able to figure it out by the end of the
1: series
3: but i don't think they explain it outright no
1: they they suggest he's not there but that could mean anything
3: isn't he president of the usa
1: (laughs) i believe so yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: so um andy how many partially seen episodes out of a series would you
0: give it (laughs) I have to do some maths now. I was going to give it seven uh, metal arms out of 10, but there's six episodes in the series and (laughs) someone got a calculator. (laughs) Seven out of 10 so far, but it has the potential to get even better and I'm I'm feeling good about it. And I think by the end of it, I'm going to feel even more strongly about it. Hmm.
1: Well, let's catch up in two weeks time, having seen a couple more episodes and I will prove you wrong.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You're very welcome to. I want to love it.
4: So, Peter, what's your recommendation?
3: Yeah, I have a series called Big Sky, which is new to Star. It's a detective series from David E. Kelly, who's the creator of Ally McBeal, Boston Legal, Chicago Hope, Doogie Howser, amongst other you created things.
4: Doogie Hauser. Yeah. Oh.
3: And more recently, Big Little Lies, Goliath, Mr. Mercedes, and less successfully, The Undoing, with Nicole Kindman and her big extra-long floaty coats. you from Star Trek <laughs> Discovery. Yes. <laughs> This one's based on the first in the Highway series of novels by C.J. Box, set in the forest backroads and byways of Montana. A trucker grabs the prostitute working on an out-of-town truck stop, then two girls in a car make fun of him and in a rash impulse he abducts them too. An ex-cop goes out to look for them, assisted by a highway patrolman. So far so, ho-hum. But there's a really surprising moment at the very end of the first episode that absolutely turns everything on its head, and that's what hooked us in to watch the rest. Uh, Obviously I won't spoil you with what that uh, particular plot twist is. So we follow the crooks in over their head and how they deal with the women in their lives who seem to be a particular problem. The three abducted girls as they try to use their wits to escape from the park truck they're held in and the ex-cop's partner and ex-wife searching desperately for him and the girls. The nominal lead is Catherine Winnick from Vikings who plays the ex-wife but it also features Ryan Philippe as the ex-cop and John Carroll Lynch as the highway patrolman. And he's one of those actors you recognise the face of without necessarily knowing who he is, but he's usually great in everything you see him in. I think he was Francis McDormand's husband in Fargo, and he's cropped up in loads of different things. I think he was one of the Chicago Seven.
4: In real life, or the film? In the (laughs) film.
3: (laughs) The series was shown in the US last year, and it's showing weekly here on Star. So they're doing a thing whereby things that have had a US release They're releasing week by week to make sure people keep watching. I assume no one else has seen it. Nope. Nope. I've seen it advertised
2: on the Disney Plus homepage and it did intrigue me because for the four seasons before I gave up on Vikings, Catherine Winnick was the best thing in it. Uh, Lagatha was a great character and I would be intrigued to watch this uh, depending on how good she is in it. So how is she? How much of a part does she get to play?
3: I would say she's the nominal lead, although on the couple of episodes I've seen so far, she doesn't seem to have the main focus. So that might be something that changes over time. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's keeping us interested because you don't know where it's going next.
4: Don't take this the wrong way, Peter, but you're not selling it <coughs> to, me, to me personally. I know it sounds a little bit well, generic, middling action drama filler.
3: I like to underpromise and overdeliver, John. You should know that.
4: Name of my sex tape. <laughs> What is different about it to the two dozen other shows that sound quite similar to this?
3: I think the the twist and seeing a character very much not who you expect he is going to be Mm. is is one of the more interesting things in it.
4: I've rather confusingly got a Stars Play subscription, (laughs) which is different to Disney Stars, whilst it's Mm -hmm. £1.99 for six months and there's a lot of Hulu stuff on there, so Mr. Mercedes is on there, um, the TV series of High Fidelity is on there. And quite a few other things that I would have expected to have seen on Disney Star rather than Star's Play.
3: Well, we did really enjoy Mr. Mercedes, which is based on Stephen King's series of novels, mainly because of its lead characters. And this is the same production, people. I will give it a watch when I've watched everything else I have to watch. (laughs) (laughs) So never The the last
1: thing you'll watch is this.
3: (laughs) Bearing in mind what your priorities for things to watch normally are. I'm not holding Mm -hmm. my
0: breath. For that kind of thing, if I do watch it, I generally prefer something a bit more light-hearted, a, a little bit of a comedic edge like Castle has. Yes. What kind of tone does, does Big Sky have?
3: It's not really comedic. You are concerned to what is going to happen to these people trapped in the back of a truck by the psycho
0: killer. eh? It doesn't sound like a barrel of laughs, actually, does it?
4: <laughs> Peter, you must realise what I feel like now, where you recommend something <laughs> and everybody's been polite, but is clearly never going to watch it. <laughs>
1: This is my life on
4: a fortnightly
3: basis.
1: (laughs) I don't think I'm ever polite when you review (laughs) Just say, nope, not a chance.
3: You weren't convinced about Ted Lasso and a few have watched that now and enjoyed it much more?
2: Yeah, my scepticism towards that was completely wrong. So I should really listen to you, Peter. (laughs) I'll get Big Sky on as soon as we're finished. (laughs) Is it as good as Ted Lasso? Uh, No. No, a few things are. (laughs) So, Peter, how many clouds in a big sky
3: out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> i'd give it um seven and a half little fluffy clouds oh, little cute cartoony ones like you get on pixel wallpaper
1: right john let's do this you. let's do
2: this shall we guys <laughs> john you've gone into slow motion for some reason what's happening you look very serious and dour. Are
1: you in black and
4: white? Oh, I'm, I'm having all my jokes pulled out of me. <laughs> oh. Oh,
1: actually, stay with that. <laughs> that might be better. Oh, <laughs> uh,
4: yeah. So, surprisingly, my recommendation, I guess my better will.
1: Just because we have to do this for all of your recommendations, have you seen it? Yes. Okay, good. Proceed.
0: <laughs> Is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, are you sure you don't want to recommend Hellraiser 6?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I believe you found it was five uh Six and a winner, it was good.
0: So John, you
2: have seen the Snyder Cut?
4: I watched it all in one chunk. I know a few others of you have seen it now. Yeah. Yeah. Have we all seen it? Yes. I've
3: yeah. seen it. Yeah, Seen it in entirety but in three stages. I tried to watch it in one cut, but mm-hmm. I was watching it off my son's server and it committed suicide with an hour to go. <laughs> <laughs> it was trying to do me a favour.
4: No, I, I watched it through and it didn't feel like a slog surprisingly. Do we need to talk about the plot or do we we all know what's happening here? Briefly,
1: Uh, maybe briefly outline it.
3: Basically, it's just Thanos and the (laughs) Infinity Stones, isn't it?
1: At the end of
4: Batman v Superman, despite their mothers having the same first names, Batman couldn't save Superman. Superman is dead. The world's a bit upset. Lois Lane's a bit mopey. uh, There's probably some sad music playing, some potentious music, and I will get onto the fucking music. Jesus Christ! um
0: <laughs> Thought you
2: said this was an actual recommendation, John.
4: <laughs> yeah. So we open with Bruce Wayne aware of some incoming threat to humanity, and deciding to put a team together to protect the world. Him and Wonder Woman are already mates, and they go and they find Aquaman and a cyborg, and a Speedy Man, and. I think that, is that it. So, might be one other.
2: Well, there's one key element missing, but that's part of well, the. Well, he
4: he's dead, isn't he? He's nowhere. Yeah. He's coming back, no. Nope. Unless you've seen any trailer or promotion material for the film or the previous cut. <laughs> so we we've, we've seen this film before, haven't we? Have we? <laughs> well, have we though? Incredibly, three years ago, Joss Whedon's Justice League came out. Zack Snyder left the production for personal reasons. And Joss Whedon came in with a mandate to... Destroy. Make it
3: less miserable.
4: Yeah. A lot of the film was reshot shot and it was cut down from the four hours of the Snyder Cut mm. to a two-hour, much cheerier, faster-moving but
1: nonsensical
4: nonsensical mm. badly edited version
2: to which the snyder bros on twitter went all mrs doyle and said maybe we like the misery
4: mm. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of released nobody particularly liked it and then the, the snyder cut has been this mythical thing for a number of years now and finally Zack snyder has been given the opportunity to bring his full vision and it's a lot better mm.
3: yeah I've... leaves pause for derision
1: i know i agree
4: I think
2: it's still a mess, but it is a lot better than the the two-hour version. You can actually see a vision. Uh You can finally see what Snyder was trying to do in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, both of which I think he failed at. But here you can get this mythological sense of these are the gods among us and they are playing on a scale well above anything that we can comprehend. And I think the scale of the film plays into that quite well.
4: Snyder is gods amongst men, these great godlike figures having these battles, whereas the Marvel films kind of want to humanise superheroes a lot, and the Josh Whedon thing, I think, fell in between two stools. Just ended up pleasing nobody. Um, the biggest upgrade, I think, is Cyborg.
1: Yeah, definitely.
4: Who has a plot, who has an arc, has an emotional resonance.
1: He's almost the main character.
4: It's very much his story. Mm. And if you watch the um, Whedon Cup, You would not have got that at all. But the relationship with his father, his sort of how he comes to terms with being cyborg, really is the heart of the film. Mm -hmm. Ezra Miller's flash is beyond fixing, I think. I just really (laughs) don't like that character.
0: Yeah. Agreed. He's in a different film to everyone else. He's still in the Joss Whedon version.
4: Batman, I think, is sidelined a little bit, mainly because you've got the problem that he's not a god. You know, he's a a man in a suit with. He just walks around
0: being miserable
3: and doesn't Mm. really do a great deal and his suit doesn't really seem to suit him
4: he brings the team
2: together
3: (laughs) with his money (laughs) (laughs) and Alfred makes the tea or mansplains how to make tea yeah (laughs) Alfred is by far the best character in the entire thing yeah he outclasses everyone else in that movie he makes it look like he's working off a totally different script to everyone else his lines are so much better and so much better delivered than everyone else in that entire film I thought Mm. maybe it's just because he's a a great actor
4: Mm aquaman i think that it felt like my man uh,
3: the way that every dialogue scene had to be in a stupid bubble underneath the sea is ridiculous yeah. fair point but I mean, it's not like fish create a big bubble around them <laughs> so they can talk to each other is it how many fish have you spoken to
1: have you been to the deep sea
3: i'm basing this on <laughs> pixar movies
4: obviously <laughs>
1: basically entirely
4: on a shark story too, the Brazilian <laughs> pixar knockoff yeah it felt like they are not quite nailed the character down yet. It felt like a different character to in Aquaman, where he he comes into his own as a slightly more joyful, fun character. I watched something the other day um, talking about using the same footage, how you can get an entirely different tone. So there's a bit where Aquaman is introduced very early on, and he buys a bottle of whiskey from a bar and then walks down towards the ocean, swigging from a bottle of whiskey, which he then tosses into the ocean and jumps in. In the Weeden version, there's Icky Thump by the White Stripes played in the background, played for laughs, like he's this big, like, hey, drink, 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 throw. In the Snyder version, it's kind of sad, mournful music, like he's drinking because he has problems and he can't cope with his dual life. And it's amazing how he, even when using the same footage, you can get an entirely different emotional response or mm. idea about the character just based on what's done with it
3: well a lot of that is the music yeah i enjoyed the music to start with in this but i found after a while i got the sense he didn't have that long to work on it junkie XL, mm. and that that's why the themes get a bit repetitive by the end so like every time wonder woman yeah came on you had that ah, little sort of tarzan <laughs> cry mm. in the background by,
4: by the 50th time that put set my teeth on edge yeah
3: i very much enjoyed the uh
2: the recut version of that on Twitter, where that little choral Wonder Woman bit is replaced by Jessica Knappett from Taskmaster making a, a foghorn noise. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Very similar. And Batman as well, because this time around they didn't have Danny Elfman doing it. So they d- instead have the da, da 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 They have a sort of nearly that, but not quite. And then they do it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work.
4: Uh, more Lois Lane, which is good. Again, you get a much more emotional reaction and a rationale for bringing Superman back. It's in the Weedon version, Louise described it as, oh, they give Superman a bath bomb and he comes back to life.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, because I went in watching this, fully expected to entertain the shit all over <laughs> it. And I actually liked it.
2: I am totally with you, John. I decided to watch it thinking, well, this is going to be rubbish, but at least I'll have seen it and it won me over. Mm. It is still a mess. There's still a lot in there, and I don't think I could have done what you did and watched all four hours at once, but it's all right. And to be honest, I would rank it above all of the DCEU Mm -hmm. films other than the first Wonder Woman. Will I watch it again? Probably not, but I'm glad I saw it, and I'm glad they got
3: the chance to redo it. How long should it have been? Did it need to be four hours? Three hours. I think we read somewhere that it's got 24 minutes of slow motion Mm in (laughs) it, which is ridiculous.
4: I think he's taken advantage of it being on HBO Max as as a TV project to be able to put basically every scrap of footage in there to some extent. Mm. It could have done with another round of editing and half an hour taken out, maybe. Yeah,
2: Yeah. and I think had it got a cinema release, a lot of the stuff at the end, which is basically him saying, if I'd had the chance to do another one, this is where it would have gone. I don't think Mm. that would have been in if he knew that this wasn't probably going to be it. It's really weird because it left me with a feeling I haven't had with really any of the other DC films, which was I kind of wanted to see another one. They built up the villains much better in this version. And I was intrigued enough to think, I want to see what happens next. I want to see how they deal with Darkseid. And I didn't expect at the start or even halfway through to be thinking, I want to see Justice League 2 but now I kind of do, and I don't know what's happening.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, even the villain has a motivation and an arc that was missing in the original one, and that is trying to get back into Darkseid's good books. I think in the original, he just appears, does he, and decides to... Uh,
1: He's just like an overdrawn henchman, really, without a proper motivation.
4: Pretty much, yeah. Uh, and I like the new design. I know some people have said it's a little bit out there and crazy, but I, I like the Stepping Wolf armor design.
3: I thought the costume designs generally weren't brilliant, though. Like uh, Flash has a stupidly over-detailed bits all over his costume that don't need to be there. If anything, it should be streamlined. Cyborg is just like loads of little triangles all fighting against each other.
4: I was thinking, I've got some and I'd love to grate on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I agree with Dan in that I really like the fact that Zack Snyder had the opportunity to bring this to us which I've done a U-turn on in the past few months because before I was thinking this is a very toxic thing to do, that the worst section of the internet can be rewarded for their, quite frankly, awful abuse. But having done quite a bit of reading about uh, Zack Schneider's experience, the experience of Ray Fisher, it, it seems as though he really, really cares about the actors and I think that shows on screens. He really cared about having a good camaraderie on sets. And for me, I think that adds to my enjoyment of a film. It's still got some deep flaws. I'm not entirely sure why we had to see a flying hot dog in slow motion.
2: Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's definitely got problems.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, there's a lot of exposition about the mother boxes that possibly didn't need to be there. But I thought that it had moments of absolute brilliantness, which was a, a joy to watch, knowing the story behind it.
0: I have mixed feelings about this. It's it's way better than the 2017 version for a start. Overall, the film's a bit rubbish. However, it's got a heart. It does have some stuff to like in there. So there's a, a trillion things wrong with it. I find the action scenes just boring and preposterous in equal measure. There's some really stilted dialogue and stuff that doesn't make sense and awful decisions and aimless cameras wandering around. Just Put it on a tripod and keep it still, Zach.
4: <laughs> you yeah, my sex tape.
0: <laughs> to his credit, he's got a good eye for a striking image. But he has one speed as a director and he directs everything exactly the same way. And everything, everything in every scene tries to be a huge epic moment. But the most important thing in any film to me is the characters. And I think that's the part where his care for it really shines through. And the characters aren't amazing, but he's really, really made an effort to draw them properly and give them proper motivations and, mm. and things to do. Uh, and it works best with Cyborg and uh, to some extent Aquaman. It made me like the characters mm. and liking the characters is essential for the enjoyment of any film and that has carried me through. Yeah, I just I, I don't think he's good enough to do what he was trying to do. He's just mm. not mm. capable to, to my mind or to my tastes. But um, I really I salute the effort. I'm pleased I've given it a go.
1: I think what might my- Take this film from an okay film with pretty big flaws to a great film might have been a better treatment of Superman because I just I don't think that Zack Schneider or Henry Cavill have found a way to tap into what makes Superman so special beyond being really strong.
2: Yeah, they really like the idea of nasty evil Superman yeah. more than they like really good Superman, which again, it kind of fits for the world he's trying to create here, but it feels so opposite to what you would want your super Superman to be.
4: If you watch the epilogue, which I know Andy's not got to yet, it sounds like they're going to go for the evil Superman again in Justice League 2 or 3. It does feel like he's a bit obsessed on that, that one note thing. Batman versus Superman makes more sense once you watch Justice League in terms of the arc Zack Snyder had for the Batman character. Grim, depressed Batman makes more sense when you see that part of Justice League is him coming back towards being a more positive character. But it's still a three-hour piece of shite.
0: <laughs> what did we make of some of the artistic decisions? So the, the, the use of, of um, pop songs in it, the, the aspect ratio being 4-3, the, the, the kind of washed-out colour palette, All of the slow motion, all the the very, very stylistic things that he's put on it. Does that Mm. work for people or does it kind of look too much?
4: The 4-3 worked for me.
2: Yeah. I mean, they were all things that I thought, I'm not going to like this. And yet it all seemed to work together.
4: I think it clearly was filmed with 4-3 aspect ratio in mind. I think the idea was that it was going to be shown on IMAX screens. Yeah. And for close-ups on characters' faces and where you've got characters standing upright... That boxiness works.
0: 4-3 emphasises um, the vertical rather yeah. than the horizontal. Most of your action films will be widescreen because there's a lot of horizontal movement and this is going for a different different dimension.
3: The Avengers was shot in a fairly high format just because of having the Hulk alongside the other characters.
4: Mm. What do we think of the ending then for people that have seen it all the way through, the uh, the, the nightmare sequence? I thought Jared Leto was more bearable. Which one of the endings? <laughs> The new ending, which was shot, which was... Apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah, clearly shot to give a taster of what Zack Snyder envisioned for the the remaining two films.
2: It's another thing that I thought I would hate, but in execution, I was intrigued by whether I could watch a whole film of it is Mm. another matter, but in that little taster, I think it worked quite
4: well. And it was also shot to give Batfleck and Javid Joker a scene together which they'd never had
2: how much prep do you think jared had to do for that little oh, no. scene
1: <laughs> he's been in
4: character since 2017 he's lived as the joker for the last 4 years but i thought he was much more bearable than in suicide squad
3: that's not difficult in <laughs> no, fairness
4: no you know to be fair i've had diarrhea that was more bearable than jared's <laughs> performance
3: so how many different attempts to shoot a movie out of 10 <laughs> how how many hours out staying it's welcome
0: (laughs) how many underwater conversation bubbles (laughs) how many mother boxes
4: i enjoyed it i wasn't bored i'm glad it's out there i feel like justice has been done to the justice league and i feel like it's a nice end to a a bad story for all involved that we finally get to see this Mm -hmm. and anything that wipes anything josh whedon's done off the planet is a a good thing um (laughs) It's an eight.
1: Wow.
3: Are you sure about that?
4: Yeah. And if you told me that two weeks ago, I would have not believed you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I still don't believe (laughs) you.
1: And that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks time with some more nerdy stuff. But in the meantime, you can follow our musings on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, drop us a line to let us know your thoughts on this week's recommendations. And if you are willing and able, do leave us a nice review wherever you listen to our podcast. And if you do that, john has a truly epic wonderful reward for you what is it today john
4: it's a two-part reward right i'm gonna knock on your door and i'm gonna babble incoherently in your face for two hours (laughs) i'm then gonna leave and four years later i'm gonna knock on your door again (laughs) and say the same stuff but portentously in slow motion for four hours
1: that is quite the incentive (laughs) Uh, until next time you've been listening to
0: a man
2: who
3: believes an elephant can fly
0: a man who forgot to tell everyone how much he hates the idea of super speed.
3: <laughs> a man who's waiting to see what superpowers his jab's going to give him.
4: A man who really does genuinely want to talk about how Hellraiser 5 is much better than oh it has any right to be compared to the other sequels. I mean, he was directed by Scott Delixson. No. <laughs>
0: John! No.
1: And a woman who promises not to suck the vaccine out of you when she sees you in person because it doesn't work. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye! Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: our post credit scene hazel would you like to clarify that sucking the vaccine out won't work not that the vaccine itself won't
1: the vaccine will absolutely work but if you try and suck it out of someone you won't be vaccinated yourself you have to wait for the uh, proper authority
2: the proper authority <laughs> <laughs> who's authorizing this
1: jackie weaver obviously <laughs> oh, obviously
2: i didn't read or understand the standing orders
1: no <laughs>